you get wombo combo you didn't see coming something new has been changed six things have been changed all of a sudden you're dead right and so if that happens every month every six weeks that it gets i'm with you right for me that gets old that feeling gets old real fast i hate that feeling just i got you good thing we took an hour to set up our stuff and measure out everything and i moved my guy (laughs) three inches cool Howdy, friends. Craig here. We got uh, kind of a neat episode. Uh, I've got three people that used to be hardcore War Machine and Hordes players, but now have found a home at Malifaux. The four of us discussed the rise of War Machine when it became one of the more popular secondary uh, smaller games out there. All three of them played it competitively, so we dig into why War Machine at one point was a great competitive game. We also discussed the fall of War Hordes. We also discussed their wandering eye and when they found Malifaux, how it became their primary competitive game. Stick around to the end because we discuss uh, a cautionary tale, things that frighten them about Malifaux and a direction that Malifaux could go that would make it no longer their number one game. Sit back, relax, and let's talk about the rise and fall of War Machine. Enjoy! Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the Third Floor and the Tabletop Talk Broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we have three Malifaux players that once loved playing Privateer Press's War Machine. In North Carolina, we often find ourselves picking up Malifaux players from the War Mahords community. Now, I've talked about it a few times on the show, but I wanted to spend this episode diving into it more. So you know my first guest, Cody, is the man behind the Swamp Fiends podcast and according to the USFT, the best player in the country. He's been on the show more than just a few times. So, Cody, welcome back to the third floor. Hey, thanks for having me, dude. And it's uh, best player in A, not just in the country. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) I feel like I need to ask about your new baby like I did last time you were on, and she's like seven years old. (laughs) 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 But, um, uh, obviously, I've been listening to Swamp Fiends. I know you've been playing some foe and thinking about some foe. Doing any other gaming outside of foe? No, just picked up the Assassin's Creed. That's it. <laughs> I just yeah. do like whatever video game will occupy me for like three days at a time so that I don't kill myself. So you and I have gotten a couple games of Among Us in. Um, uh, that, that's that been fun. Are you playing that a lot or have I just happened to be at each one of the games you've been playing? I think you've been at every one I've played except for like one. <laughs> I play with my board game group, but that's only like five people and we all know each other enough that like as soon as someone kills, we can like hear in their voice. It's like, ah, no, it's you. (laughs) It's been fun. It's it's fun. It um, I I go I get burned out like I'm burned out. I have no interest in playing it again, but I have a sneaking suspicion it'll be a game that I'll want to play again Mm -hmm. after a while, like after a cool down. (laughs) But I did like two nights in a row. I'm like, yeah, I'm tired of this game. (laughs) Um, So that's it. Nothing exciting going on in your life then. Is that what we're hearing? Sure. 
Okay. My second guest is Dave, and he's been on uh, a few podcasts talking about Malifaux. Uh, he's a regular at our Camping for Gamers. So, Dave, welcome to the third floor. Well, welcome back to the third floor. You've been here. No, it's my first time on the third floor. I've only been in pictures. Oh, Sorry okay. to the listeners. You've had to see my ugly face first. <laughs> Um, so Dave, let's find out how you got into gaming. So you knew nothing about tabletop gaming, never rolled a die, never picked up a model, and then suddenly you found it. So when did you find it? Yeah, I um I started off owning the I don't know, one of the initial Battletech editions, but it was like a kid and there wasn't people to play with them, so I just owned it and like read the rules. And then no in, shit. Yeah. And then in college, um, not Hero Clicks, but the Mech Warrior Clicks. I don't remember what they were called. But people were playing Mech Warrior Clicks, and it was like, this game's awesome. And then you go through the questions. Like our one buddy at camping just went through questions like, how long does it take? How much money is it? And I was in college, and the money just sunk me, right? It was like, this is more than $0. <laughs> um, and then when I had a job, I jumped into 40K, and then Fantasy, and then War Machine, and now Malifaux. So cruising right through. Very cool. Very cool. And how long have you been playing Faux now? Uh, I started like a month or two before third edition release, maybe three, That's right. Like right before third edition. Yep. 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 Um, and you've been getting your reps in, man. Um, I've appreciated how much you enjoy playing the game. And uh, at some point we do have to do our uh, salt episode. Oh, God. Um, I was just playing Nathan. <laughs> speaking of salt. Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny you say it because Nathan will be one of the guests. <laughs> I've already talked to Nathan about it. <laughs> so um, now our last guest. Is Brian. Now, Brian has never been on the show before. He comes from uh, the Michigan Meta, uh, 10th Thunder player, soon to be playing Explorer. So, Brian, welcome to the third floor. Uh, thanks for having me, Craig. So, Brian, you kind of get credit. We've been tossing around this idea of an episode. Cody and I have talked about it a few times. Dave and I have talked about it a few times. But you're the one that kind of put the fire under my butt uh, to make it happen. So I appreciate it. Not a problem. So how did you find gaming? Uh, I found gaming originally back way back when I was in sixth grade. Oh, wow. Really? Uh, got into Magic the Gathering a long time ago. So started with the trading cards, uh, made my way up to being pretty good at it. Was top in Michigan for a while. Uh, left that when it became my life. Yeah. I got older. Uh, then went into 40K and some other games for a while. Uh, then got into, uh, I'd say it's right in the middle of second edition um, of Malifaux that I got into it. One of my D&D buddies happened to say, hey, uh, I got this other game. Do you want to try one of these? I'm like, sure. The so first now, free. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so between 40K and Malifaux, was there war, uh, Warm Hordes or where did Warm Hordes come into play? Uh, warm Hordes uh, was definitely in there for a very long time. Um, it was the same buddy who had introduced me. That was another D&D excursion. He's seen some other different models that I had started to dabble with for some painting and go, hey, you should see these models. <laughs> so I'd be, I'd be curious, Brian, um, were you were you a person that played like one game at a time or did you find yourself multiple games? Like you'd have a, a primary game, a secondary game. I tend to dive wholeheartedly into something for short periods of time. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. When I started War Hordes, I started with Menoth. After my first game, I had half the faction. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know exactly what that's like because I'm stupid like that too. I do the same thing. Um, but like, screw money. Money's for idiots. Uh, I'm going to get it all. Um, so let's go to, I uh, just recently, um, 
was on a 40K podcast and uh, they had asked me to come on because they had just found Malifaux and wanted me to come on and talk about it to their listeners and also wanted to uh, find out why I'd stopped playing 40K and I did a whole uh, spiel about that with them. Um, what was it that got you off of 40K? That is actually one of the toughest questions. Uh, generally, I didn't like the people that were in the Michigan area playing. Um, it got... Uh, way too hyper aggressive and the way everybody acted everyone was basically dicks um, yeah so i got out of it i didn't enjoy playing with those people and said all right i'm done i'm gonna go find yep. something i can enjoy yeah that's something that's common not just to your area i hear that all the time i um the community didn't have anything to do with me getting out of it i had a very good group of guys that i played 40k with but we were small we didn't really interact with the greater 40k community we just looked it was just like five five guys that beat the hell out of each other um and uh i didn't play it competitively so i never really interacted with anybody other than those five guys but i did i did mention on the podcast that one thing i hear on the show all the time and when i'm talking to people is they say you know i left the 40k community and found the Malifaux community and could never go back just because the quality of the people and in the uh, Malifaux community. Cody, I can't remember. Did you ever play 40K? Yeah, a bunch. Um, I f that was my first game. I, I found it when I was 11 at like a Boy Scout camp. Like, gotcha. And I played until I was, until 2012. Well, no kidding. I, I played WoW more than anything when I was a teenager. <laughs> but I've had like Eldars and Orcs in my closet ever since. Um, Do you ever see yourself going back to it? No. Um, well, I, I picked up eight when eight came out and I played three games and I was, I remember immediately why I dropped it. Yeah. I feel like I have other friends that have done that too. They've gone back to 40 K and you play a couple games, and you're like, this is going to be great. And you play a game you're like, Oh yeah, not, not great. Pretty not great. <laughs> yeah. And I talk about it when I was a guest on that podcast. One of the things I talked about is you get spoiled, right? It's kind of like the Malifaux or Guild Ball or some of the other modern rule sets kind of spoil you a little bit. And you go back to like, wait, I'm just going to sit here and watch you do your entire turn <laughs> and pick my nose. And then you're going to pick your nose while I do my whole entire turn. It's hard to go back to it. Well, the specific reason that I quit was exactly one game, which, and it was for a reason that is a strength in both War Machine and Malifaux in that I played a game where there were literally four decision points in the game and my opponent messed up three of them. I, I'm like, <laughs> you only made four decisions this game. Like, you de deployment was a decision. And, and you messed like, that up. <laughs> you obviously shoot your, your, your anti-tank guns into tanks and then you obviously shoot your anti-infantry guns into infantry. But you messed up the one positioning decision you had to make this whole game and like you won still so what yeah. are we even doing here yeah <laughs> yeah it's a good point it's a good point um dave that means maybe you would win at uh, 40k there's a chance there's a chance <laughs> as you know i'm excellent at 50 50s you are really good at 50 50s <laughs> there was a joke at the uh the most recent camping for gamers that dave dave told us that he just don't give him a 50 50 because he's gonna always come back on, on the bad side of it that's I funny every 50 50 flip that whole weekend <laughs> you really did no, we played a lot of games a lot of different games <laughs> we even even role playing even when we had like rpg and it was just like you want to do the left door or the right door and the monster's on the right door where you picked <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, that's funny. So, guys, um, today we're going to talk about um, a couple things. We're going to talk about how, you know, each of these guys kind of found Warmer Hordes, um, how they fell in love with it. I mean, they, each of these guys have played it for a good bit of time. Um, and then we're going to talk about the divorce. Um, what was it that made them say, you know what, I really don't want to play this anymore? And, um, you know, where did they go? Um, and we're going to do the same thing we kind of do with 40K. And I'm going to find out whether uh, they're ever feel like going back to their ex-girlfriend and uh, giving Warmer Hordes a chance. Um, so we're going to talk through all of that. And then we'll finish off talking about everybody's favorite game on this pod. We're going to talk about Malifaux. So we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Howdy friends, Craig here. You deserve a new play mat. Here on the third floor, we use mats by Mars. They are scratch resistant, waterproof, wet erase marker compatible, almost free of glare and lighter than neoprene. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. You pick a mat, pick a design, and then you pick an overlay, like one for Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, or even Malifaux 3rd Edition. Those overlays will really speed up your deployment and make the placement of objective markers so easy. Use our promotion code in the show notes to get a 10% discount on your first order. In the notes of your order, you can even request the third floor logo on your mat for free. That makes the best mat in the business even a little better. So get some new mats, save yourself some money, and help support the show. Go to matsbymars.com. All the details are in the show notes, including the discount code. So, you know, I talk about how everybody found games and each of these guys, you know, um, you know, at some point didn't play uh, uh, War Machine or um, Hordes and then they started playing it. Um, and it sounds like uh, based off of whatever he's saying that kind of a lot of it happened after 40K and after GW, which is a common thing. GW is the uh, it, it tends to be the entrance game for a lot of people. So, Dave, um, for you, when did when did War Machine get on your radar? Yeah, War Machine. Um... I guess it's kind of the same story I'll tell about Malifaux in a little bit, but one game changed enough that I didn't like it anymore and started getting wandering eyes. So I was into fantasy a bunch and it was eighth and I played eighth for, I don't know, six months, whatever it was, some amount of time. Uh, and War Machine was just starting its second edition um, broad playtest, open playtest, which was a super exciting idea to me because... Eighth was such a surprise and poorly balanced and all kinds of things. And I was getting, trying to be more competitive. And so fell out of love with um, fantasy battles, eighth fantasy battles and War Machine in my shop was starting to be played. And 
I got sucked in with the same thing everyone tells everyone. It's like, oh, well, you only need these six models and you change your master or your caster and you get a whole new army, which is not true. That's a load of BS. But right. they, like, it's not a full army game. It's skirmish. So that kind of swept me in. And then kind of like Brian, once you're in, you're in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, did, what was your primary? What are they called? Are they called factions? What are they called? In yeah, factions. I, yeah, what, was your, what was your primary faction? I tried to start with Legion and then everyone told me how they were broken in BS. And I'm like, well, I don't want to play the broken BS faction that everyone hates. So instead I went to Circle, which is the Druids. And okay. they are shifty kind of um, surprise angles, little glass cannony. Uh, that's cool. And was it, it was it was the fact that that it wasn't played a bunch that attracted you to it? Um, well, I like the system. There was two systems. There's War Machine and Hordes. I prefer big right. stompy monsters over big stompy robots. So I was into I had trolls, um, people that abused uh, animals, uh, dragons or druids with werewolves and stone constructs. And I prefer werewolves and stone constructs. So it was kind of a lot of aesthetics uh, less than uh, play style. Yeah. And out of curiosity, so what was it that you loved? So what kept you playing as long as you had played it? What did you like the most about it? Um, community. It's always community. Um, when you. I mean, if I lived in Pennsylvania still, I'd be playing Ninth Age because my friends up there play Ninth Age, you know, um, and so Warm Lords uh, had a good community in Pennsylvania. Then when I moved to Raleigh, it really flourished like a couple of my um, good friends down here that I still talk to outside of gaming are warming warm hordes guys. So yep. um, that and like the rule set was advanced for its time, right? Coming out of GW, it, when we forget it now, like, you know, what was available 10 years ago or whatever it was, seven years ago, was not right. what's available now. And so 3D6, getting to affect dice rolls by making, uh, getting boosts and um, individual models having better shots and better changes. And it was a more tactical game. Like all those things were new and exciting and having a feat and having um, win conditions was a big thing for me. So in uh, fantasy attrition was master. Um, yep. And then in 40 K there was always the out of killing the King, right. To killing the caster. And that was really exciting to me because you weren't out of the game. If you started poorly or the dice went against you early, there was a shot. And I really liked that. And that translates to Malifo, where the wing conditions are even more broad and exciting, right? But it was yeah. kind of a um, step-by-step. The industry has moved more towards better design, and I like that multiple ways to win. Dave, that's a really good point. And people do forget that when when War Machine really kind of started stealing players from from uh, GW, it was because they were leaps and bounds ahead from as a rule set goes. Um, and it's very easy to forget that now. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and built for competitive play, which GW wasn't even trying to do. Um, they right. didn't even pretend that they were. So that's a yeah. good point. Cody, how different is your story? When when did um when did it when did War Machine get on your radar? Uh, later. So 2012 was when I basically quit 40k and started playing War Machine full time. Before that, my friends tried to get me into it, but every time I would see somebody play War Machine, it, it looked it looked so boring because it looked like <laughs> just models in the middle. And if you don't know the intricate nature of it, you it looks terrible. But like once you once you learn it, I can't believe you're saying that because that's exactly my impression of watching War Machine being played. Yeah, but that's also one of the best things about it. Once I started to dive in, is it was it has 
no, no real game is recreated that sort of spectator experience to what once you know it and you could be in a game shop watching people play and you're like you know you and your buddy could go outside and say like, all right what you know what if he two-hand throws this guy and then this guy pushes him and then he could no oh no that's only like an 80 you know that's yeah. only like a 30 percent assassination and he's like oh well, what if he you know goes this way he slams him this way and then he tries to push it you know like the creative freedom that exists within war machine was like incredible coming from 40 K where I just said there were five decision points and that's what really turned me off of the game going into war machine. There's hundreds and it really gave me a, that's what set the hook. Yeah, definitely. I also really visually like the big monsters. I love colossals. You can see on my shelf over there. Like I have, I have like 30, uh, you know, colossal bases and stuff like that. Oh, I love those insane. models. Um, you also don't like money, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I like the aesthetic. I like the gameplay. I like so much about it, for sure. Um, so, specifically about the gameplay, Cody, what was it um, that, that kept you, right? So, you talked about um, the, the variability, the options. Uh, it sounds like a lot of key decision points. Um, was was there enough depth there that kept you like when you look back on it why did why did you dive in so heavy i felt like i could improve as a player um all the time just like oh if i would have put this guy you know half an inch over here that would have shut down all of this and would change this and this in all of these iterations but really i think um the thing that Malifaux and War Machine share that I love the most out of both of them is the creative potential they give you on the table. Yeah. There is so much space for you to be a, for you to be agentic in both of these systems that doesn't really exist in a lot of other ones. And it's not just agentic terms in terms of your decision points, but it's also your ability to tinker and do all kinds of stuff pregame. Like I love yep. Guild Ball, but it did not scratch any pregame itches for me. You know, if I had a bad game, then uh, that week, then my Guild Ball week was ruined. But, if, right. but like I can sit and write both Malifaux and War Machine lists like all day. And I can really think in Malifaux, I could think like, okay, what is my drop into Rezzers? Okay, it's this, but then if it's this and it's this, you know, there's all these like pregame uh, abilities to be like a snowflake and to... Um, dark horse, certain stuff that yep. like all of that potential that was in war machine really exists in Malifa for me in a way that I really love. Like, I love that you could like be the best, um, grim Angus player in war machine. And I, I love that, especially in Malifa too. I can be the best Titania player, you know? Right. Like right. That. But it sounds like you're kind of what I, what I call a deck builder, right? That you really enjoy the off time, a time where you can spend time thinking without playing. I have to, it has to be there. Otherwise I'll, pl- I'll play chess. Like yep. there's no reason for me to, if, if there's not both an on the table and off the table experience, then it doesn't do anything. That makes sense. Brian, did you, uh, is that important to you as a gamer having that, um, you know, off the table experience? It's uh, probably what I do the majority of the time. actually. Really? How so? Uh, I even do it for my board games. Uh, I like to play Euro board games as well, and I'll sit there and think about, well, that strategy worked best with this one, but you can do this. Um, so that is one of the main things that drew me to Warmer Horns. Um, I started just because some some friends were playing, but immediately why I got half the faction was because, oh, I want to try this model out, 
in this list with this caster, uh, and I just needed the model to try it out. So one of the things that I criticize 40K for, and granted, I hear it's gotten better, but uh, I can only talk about 40K when I played it, is that I hated that um, before a model hit the table, sometimes you lost the game, right? You One guy has one list, you have another list, and it doesn't matter what decisions I make or how well I play or even how well I roll. Uh, a lot is decided even before, you know, the models hit the table. Was that true with Warm Hordes? Mm-hmm. I'd say it wasn't at the beginning, uh, but we'll get to it later to why I left Warm Hordes. Uh, when it. I got into the third edition uh, for them. But uh, I could pretty much drop anything that I wanted to on the table, any creative outlandish thing, and you'd still have a chance to win, especially if your opponent hadn't seen it because they had no idea what you're trying to do. Do you consider second edition kind of the, the best version of War Machine? Part of second edition, yes. Okay. How about you, Cody? So, um, second. Hmm. Well, I'll just talk about War Machine right now because I don't, I don't really think I don't. A second edition was when it was the most fun with me, but that could have been for community reasons. You know what I mean? Like okay. it could have been like there could be a hundred reasons. But right now, I think it is um, insanely well externally balanced. In that, if you uh, whatever faction you're playing, you could be fairly competitive. Uh, it is pretty bad um, internally balanced right now. Uh, is my perception of the game. Um, and when you're saying internally balanced, you mean within the factions themselves? Yes. So there's an obvious pick into every, when, if you're playing a faction, you're, it's, you have the sand deep of every pet faction. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I want to I I be clear about something, is like, uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you're, you're a War Machine player who's currently thinking about, like, who's looking into other games, you know, maybe you're considering Warcaster or something. Um, one thing that you could definitely relate to is that um, the War Machine community is just absolutely slam packed full of people who don't actually play the game but constantly talk about it. Yeah. When we so get to the why you divorced, that's on the list. <laughs> so I want to be clear that I am not I'm I'm not broken up with the game, and I still oh. want to play it. I've played it since I moved to Florida. I haven't played in COVID or anything like that. But I just want to be clear that like we're approaching this from in good faith not in bad faith, like every single person you see on the general, you know, general Facebook group every single day of the week. Um, how about you, Dave? Is there a particular, like, do you find second edition kind of the best version of that game or, or, and, and do you, have you kept up with it the way Cody is? Uh, no, I have not. I think the best edition of the game was right before the circle and score and CID in third edition. I'd actually just gotten a bunch of friends back into it. They had left right after third edition dropped because it was poorly executed. And they like, no, it's the best game it's ever been. It's great. It's well balanced. All the all the factions feel playable. It's really fun. Like the, it's great. It's a great game. You should come back. They came back. The circle and scorn CIDs dropped, and the whole it was like they just chopped off the legs. Like it, for me, it was just it was the best it's ever been. Everything felt good, and then I don't know Armageddon happened. Like every like just everything that I didn't want to happen that because the divorce was like that precipitating moment. So right before then was great. Yeah. 
Yeah. And um, to kind of go back to what Cody was talking about, too. Um, and Cody brought up a good point. This is this isn't good faith. And it is in good faith. This is not a bash war machine episode for me at all. Um, what this is more than anything is is talking to people who love war machine and finding out why I have this perception, at least in North Carolina. And, and, and I've had it, you know, based on guests that I've had on the show of why it seems to be a stepping stone to Malifaux. Um, which, you know, we'll talk about a little bit. In fact, but what I do want to do is I want to take a quick break and we get back from this break. I want to talk a little bit more about when War Machine stopped being their primary game. Um, so what was it that uh, either stopped them from playing War Machine or put it on the uh, sidelines like it appeared to do with Cody? So we'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3 by 3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com. That's with one M. Or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code thirdfloorfriend, all one word, T-H-I-R-D-F-L-O-O-R-F-R-I-E-N-D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. We now know that, um, you know, these guys like the game. Um, you know, it sounds like Dave and Brian don't play anymore. Um, Cody still uh, thinks about the game, still has the game. And it sounds like would get a game in if uh, we weren't in lockdown. But there's for some reason they stopped or it became a secondary game for them. So let's start with you, Cody, It's because it sounds like you had a soft breakup a little bit where maybe War Machine stop being your primary game in your headspace at least and Malifaux did what was it that um that went sour in your mind or made it so that war machine wasn't as much fun uh or fun enough to be your primary game yeah i would say it's probably the same reason you broke up with 40k that you mentioned on other podcasts it's just the rate of release became a little difficult to keep up with and i played in the same area as dave so it really was shocking how healthy we got the meta. And as soon as the circle CID dropped, it just ate everything. It was like brutal. Uh, I know other areas did not have this experience at all with circle, but for us, it just became like the only thing that anyone could ever say is like, well, does it beat Iona Kruger too? It was like, no. Well, then why even play it? Like why even play this? If it can't beat this pair that it can't even get close. It can't even have a competitive game against this pair. So like, What's the point of you talking about? So for those that aren't familiar with the insider baseball on this, what is the circle and what is CID? Okay, so uh, CID is Community Integrated Development Process. It's basically open beta testing for all of their new releases. Um, They uh, have used the process to, you know, tweak models and get community feedback before models are released. And I'd say it's been um, very controversial in terms of, uh, people's reception to how it has changed um, privateer press's uh, theories on design. I think in general, it has, I don't know. It, I don't really have a strong opinion either way. It just, 
some of the factions that have gone through it have came out, out like crazy. And, and like Dave said, it was just Circle. Circle, I looked at the forums when they came out and they had the most comments of any of the CIDs up into that date. And they were also the most obviously busted to us in a way that was, it, it wasn't just that they were busted, it was that they were very unfun. And they fixed that. They, they, one of the benefits of War Machine is that they do errata and FAQ pretty quick. Yep. So one of the functions of CID, which is important to point out, is that they would uh, touch old models, right? So, you know, you'd go through a theme force, right? So say, I don't know, the, in this case, the circle one that like kind of blew it all apart for us was like, there's these uh, hungry savages that can turn into beast men, right? So the Thorn... And like all the Thorn models, they put out, I don't know, six or seven new models, and then they updated all the old models, right? Or they touched all of them, right? So it made the whole theme for us change. And so um, that's part of the benefits of CID, I think, is that they have a living game as much as a, well, it's a benefit and a curse, right? The benefit is your old models aren't dead because they're bad and are bad forever. The bad thing is, is that you get overwhelmed by too many things changing too quickly. Yeah. Um, which Cody brought up. And I also experienced during the time, it's just, they needed to make money. They put out six models and you like had no idea, you know, and they put out another CID the next month. You're like, I couldn't keep up. It, it definitely affected tournament play. Uh, you never knew what rules you're going to be able to play with by the time three months came from then. Mm-hmm. And that's because you, you, you had part of one foot in playing the beta CID type stuff. And then you had to go back to, what was non-beta and and play regular stuff? I'm not quite sure I understand what you mean by that, Brian. You never actually knew exactly when they were going to officially make those into into rules. They never gave it a hard date like this will release on October 1st. You're going to get the the scorn drop for the CID. Um, They always kind of kept that hidden for a while. You knew it was going to be coming out um, because it went out of CID, but you never knew when it would happen. So you had always kind of play guess, well, do I practice with all the CID rules in place and use those casters and those right. lists? Or do I stick with the traditional and... Uh, that sounds... I, I think that would frustrate me. Um, I, I shouldn't say frustrate. So I, I did not play a lot in the thir- uh, Malfo third beta. Um, and the reason is, is that I am terrible in that scenario. I mean, we talked about why I left 40 K's because the, you know, the rules changed every week because they put out a new codex or a new chapter approved or something like that. And every time I've ever done a beta for a game, it was the same thing, you know, by its design and by nature, it changes every week. We update, they update stuff. That's the process in open beta. And uh, I just, I, I don't enjoy that process. Um, I'd be curious, Brian, did you consider yourself active in the CID program? I did actually uh, comment a lot. Uh, I played a lot of games back in War Machine um, that, uh, you know, both sides against. You know, I played four factions, so every once in a while I'd dip out of my main faction, which was the Protectorate of Menoth, to try some of the other CIDs because I just really like to experiment and play variety. Uh, So I was on the forums a lot, and you would see a lot of salt most of the time when (laughs) people were talking. Uh, but uh, I think they did overall a good job with the CIDs in terms of trying to make sure they touched everything and, and you got to play with models. But it did end up leaving still when they fixed some models, you'd end up those models would tend to be a little better and then you wouldn't play with your other models. Got and, it. And also there's, um as Cody's mentioned before, I'm not sure on which of the billion podcasts he's been on at this point, but <laughs> um, War Machine is a game around 
matchup knowledge, right? You can get called out by some wombo combo because it's not exchanging activations, right? It's you get wombo combo you didn't see coming, something new's been changed, six things have been changed, all of a sudden you're dead, right? And so if that happens every month, every six weeks, that it gets, I'm with you, right? For me, that gets old. That feeling gets old yep. real fast. I hate that feeling. Just, I got you. Good thing we took an hour to set up our stuff and measure out everything. And I moved my guy <laughs> three inches. Cool. You know? Um, can you think of it? Can you think of the specific time, Dave, where you said, yeah, I'm done? I no, because it, it it's, it's like a real breakup, right? Like, you don't, it's not like a, it's not like one, it's usually not one precipitous event, right? It wasn't like War Machine cheated with my best friend or something, right? It's like right. It, the, the game changed in a way that was super unfun, specifically around this um, Circle CID. And I played Circle, but I was trying to play something else because we had a lot of Circle in our meta, Cody, which I think is why we were super affected by it. And um, And you just like, you couldn't beat this thing. And like, it just felt... It, that in combination with a lot of um, designer, brand, you know what it was? I know what it was. The moment they got me was there's a there's a forum, right? Well, a pseudo forum on Facebook for War Machine. And the, everyone was so upset. The, the broad spectrum of War Machine players was really angry about the Circle CID because it was so badly done. It came out very overpowered. Um, it wasn't fun. And then we, the whole community was complaining about it. And at some point, someone changed the title of the forum to like Lord of the Feasts forum or something, right? Whatever it was. It was something like someone and they accidentally changed Facebook and Facebook's rules where you couldn't change it back immediately. And the designers got so pissy that they, everyone was telling them that it was bad. And the whole everyone in the war, not everyone, but the war machine community had this overwhelming negativity about it. So much so that like the published group in the forum had been changed to mock the terrible design like it was like the moment and then put on that then the designers like we're not wrong you're wrong learn to play and that was just like that's like i get it's a hard job like i I really do get that like i could not be a designer balancing all the factors people are whiny uh jerks um Mm -hmm. and like they say things that don't make any sense like the caster that is the prime problem at this caster cd when she first came out someone said that she was bad because they had reduced one of her rules i mean like people are bad at knowing what's good and bad in the game right i get that yeah but like you made a mistake not everyone that plays your game is wrong right right but, um, but I mean, it's tough, right? And, and it's why I question whether the CID program, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know enough, but, you know, Cody, you and I have talked about designer head. Uh, it's something that annoys you and annoys me, too. Um, you know, people think they know how to design these games. And quite frankly, they don't. Um, and just because you're a player doesn't mean you know how to design these games. I learn every time I do an insider insight and I talk to a new developer, a new designer, I realize how much I don't freaking know mm-hmm. about how, how to make these games. Um, do you think that, you know, putting stuff out into the public on a regular basis like that and getting, you know, feedback after feedback, uh, feedback and acting on it. Do you think that's smart? I think it's smart for the community. It's smart for the company, but not smart. Um, for community leaders to like care about it so much. Um, like a lot of the thing I push back whenever this whole process has made me really wary of whenever people talk about OP stuff in Malifaux, because it's so, it's so bad for your community. If all you do is talk about what's too strong and what's too underpowered, 
because then you're never getting to that point that I was saying that was like the best part is that you're going in and you're feeling creative and you have something you want to test. You want to put this on the board. You want to see how it plays out. If as soon as you find something that works, the conversation is about, well, this is what I would do to fix that. You know, right. actually, if his movement was one less, then I think that would be good. It's like, right. you know, like if that is all we're talking about, then that's like we're losing what's fun. You know what I mean? We have no agency at all, right? There's no yeah. there's no decisions for us to make anymore except bitch. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, we're, if we're feeling like everything we say and how we react to every game is going to change balance, then we're creating a bad time for ourselves. And so I guess going back to the CID program, do you think that that's what happened there? Um, or do you, I mean, I'm, try, I'm trying to get a sense, Cody, what your take on CID was. Um, was it good for the game or bad for the game? I think it was good for, um, I think it could have been good. And I think it was good at the beginning. And then uh, I think as, mm, I don't want to talk shit, but like, I think as the developers got stretched a little thin in like all of their new games that they have shifted their focus towards. They were less able to be adults in the room around those processes. And I think the loudest voices got their say. You also take a lot of, uh, they got a lot of bitching at for a very long time. And there's only so much that you can take before you just like, yeah, "Mm, I feel very bad for them. I could not do the job. I would have tried to murder people through the internet. Yeah. That was going to be my point, Brian. It's just like you can only kick a guy in the nuts so many times before, he, you know, he, he, he has, he's had enough. And uh, I was at, talking to uh, Johnston um, when I had him on the show. And that's what I asked him is like, you know, you know, how do you handle that? Um, uh, and, you know, what he says is like they'll drop when they would drop something like a drop a new uh, guild and guild ball. And he, and he would literally turn off Facebook for a week and just let it all settle. Like he couldn't he would not read a comment on a forum or anything for the first week because it was all noise you know mm-hmm. and he'd say you know like the first few comments is this is terrible this is the bro- most broken stuff ever and then four days later like oh well i tried it it's not as bad as i thought it was you know but to cody's point you know they, they weren't even playing and they were just talking about you know how bad it was and they literally had never put the model on the table yeah um i don't know how they do it i, I really don't because um you know i get negative comments on my content and my first reaction is not a good reaction. <laughs> um, l- luckily, um, you know, I don't take I've got enough stuff in my life to care about that. I, I ultimately end up not caring and getting a kick out of it. Um, one of my favorite things to do is to post on the on the Facebook page, like really bad reviews that I get in iTunes sometimes because they're just amazing. <laughs> they're just amazing. <laughs> like, I wish I cared about tabletop talk as much as you do enough <laughs> to put this comment on my, on my podcast. <laughs> so, but if that was, if, if my living was this podcast and, you know, and, and, you know, comment, I mean, I could get 10 great comments about my content, but if every day there was somebody in there saying it's garbage, it's garbage, it's garbage. You don't know what you're doing. I mean, that's kind of wear down the soul a little bit. Um, are any of you guys familiar with the process that um, they do with Infinity? No. Because they the Infinities, I know Infinity does something similar, but um, obviously we can't talk about it because, I, I, but, I, but I'm trying to figure out how unique this is because I, I don't think I knew this entire CID process um, at all. Brian, do you remember when you finally just said, yeah, I'm done? 
Um, I don't remember what year it was, but uh, it was after the Michigan Grand Tournament that uh, got held in Lansing. Uh, always had a great time. We did the team event, uh, me and four other guys. We would bring lists that were were competitive lists. Like we'd practice them. We we would do a lot of meta. We we talk, but uh, we would never go that extra mile to find exactly what's the top tier and take it. And we ran into the tournament that year. We were doing well. And then we ran against a, a team that uh, we knew was there. Uh, we seen their list as soon as we got there and we seen what models they brought. They brought Alcrix. Every single five-man team brought a different Warcaster for the same lists. <laughs> and they could all run it. And their lists were predominantly better than anything anyone else brought. Yeah. That year, it was who who could win the Cricks on Cricks max up. Right. And that's when I was like, well, all right, I, we're, we're done. Yep. It's, it's yep. no longer creative, no longer fun. It's, it's just bring whatever's best. So that's actually one of the, an interesting point I forgot earlier. It's one of the cool bits of progression of the games is if you go from fantasy or 40K, you had one list. In War Machine, you had two lists as a pair. In Malifaux, you get to, you have the declare master faction, declare master show list right and i think that progression is one of the things i kind of swayed me out is because that um the the coin flip or bad matchups that you were talking about earlier kind of like 40k has there there are bad matchups in war machine and you can play your way out because there's like a there's a wild card chance but it's not it's not it's not like a 45 55 it's like a 80 20 70 30s maybe and uh and so that was a cool evolution for War Machine, but then I feel like that's evolved as well now with like um, Marvel Crest Protocols format or um, Malifaux format. That, that that format slows that kind of well. They just had a the best, but also I only I don't have options to fight this specific thing, so I have to bring a and the pool of models and lists were so huge. I have two options I have to set before, so I have to predict the meta correct. I have to predict the most powerful things correctly, right? It's just so much the constraints on the creativity were pretty tight. Do you guys feel that way too, that we're playing in the game? Do you feel like that the Venn diagram of things you were trying to meet with your two lists was very constricting? Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll say, especially near the, um, the end of my competitive um, ambitions, I guess would be, you know, like right, right after circle, I was playing like, Rat pretty competitively and stuff, mm-hmm. but like I always consider myself sort of a control player in um, all, all all sort of gaming endeavors. And like there was like a there was like a run of like four CIDs where everything got immunity to like four different control effects, and uh, that that made it where the pair I was crafting like it had to be, if I wanted to play my my control guy that I really enjoyed playing. My uh, my other guy has to cover you know fifteen different bases, and it made uh, it made that kind of uh, constructing a pair a little less creative. To your point, I think I was on the opposite end of you, Cody. I played Protectorate, so I was the denial faction. <laughs> I'm going to take everything you can do and say no, you can't do that. So sometimes it wasn't fun to play against that faction, but uh, um, there there was a sideboard too in uh, tournaments. So there was a very limited pool you could try to to bring in. But it was generally you could swap out one unit or like two solos, which normally wasn't enough to to make it worth it. 
Interesting. That was not in the last version I played. Sorry to cut you off, Craig. I, I think it might have just been uh, Michigan tournaments. I never yeah. played in the national ones, but uh, most Michigan tournaments had used that format at the time. Well, th- that concept, and it sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, it sounds to me that you, it got to a point where there was a right answer. Um, that, you know, whether it be interfaction or across factions, things were such that there was the right model to bring. There was the right list to bring. I mean, do you think that that was the case that at different stages as between CIDs or after CIDs dropped that, um, you know, there was there was the top of the curve and that was just that was it. There's not much to discuss or or was there wiggle room, Cody? I wouldn't go that far. I think Dave said it well. I think Dave said, uh, hit the nail on the head in that. Um, a lot of the development cycles have really held your hand creatively in a way that uh, can, can can really damper enthusiasm. Right. 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 And I do think there was a broad enough power base that there wasn't a single right answer. Yeah. There was, you know, maybe there was five like possible answers and, but there wasn't 20 possible answers or, you know, there was, right. I don't know how many casters are in the game. Like there wasn't, you know, 50 possible answers. It felt like there was five or six really strong things and a couple of compliments. You could try to dark horse something and, and catch someone with like a wombo combo out. Um, I know one of the, one of my friends played stuff that wasn't popular, but he, he liked to play um, kind of, he played broad based rounded lists which is not the way war machine went which made the community feel even more like there was a power because there was um it was playing rock paper scissors right it made the community feel like rock paper scissors then when cid came out there was a new rock or new paper or new scissors and so it was just the best at that form and there was less multi there was no combo there was very few combo lists it was rock paper scissors new rock have to go buy the new rock is kind of how i saw it do you guys does that make sense it makes sense to me, Dave. I'd be curious now that you're looking back on it. It's been a little while since you've played. What do you miss the most uh, about War Machine and playing War Machine? Mm. I don't know. I, I miss my. I miss the specific group of people that play War Machine that I don't like. That's what I miss about 40K. Is the people I played 40K with. That's funny. That's funny. How about you, Brian? What do you miss? Uh, I actually really liked some of the models. Uh, I got into Menoff because it was a very fire and brimstone theme and I could paint some great colors. And uh, then I picked up the crucible guard, which eventually was amazing to paint. Uh, I still play with the same people, but now I to play Malifa with them. Right. Um, I don't miss them, but uh, generally some of the models, even though some of the factions they brought out weren't really in theme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Cody? What do you miss? Um, yeah. So um, I'll never get rid of my war machine models unless they, you know, unless something crazy happens. Um, because to me, it is still the best like army scale game. Uh, you can debate whether it's an army game or a skirmish game, but to me, it is an army scale game. And there is, there is a, there's an itch, you know, like a, a model train sort of itch that comes with like deployment. And, you know, I have all of my models, I've painted them up and I'm lining them up on the deployment line. There is like this this itch that it scratches that skirmish yeah. games definitely do not scratch. Uh, and I would like to see more innovation in the army scale other than 40 K because I mean, that's like the only one it's like my whole, my whole ambition in war machine has been like to uh, paint up uh, a fully painted list pair and then win an event with that and then go on to the next faction. And I've done it with eight 
and I'm never going to get rid of the models that I painted now because, you know, like in my head, I'm still going to keep working on that because I still like that, that, that deployment that like, I like building an army, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it is pretty fun. yeah. Like coming up with, you know, a theme and all kinds of crazy stuff. That's really fun. Yeah. It's very true. I mean, we talk about the downsides of, of big, painting big armies, but there's, I mean, I had a fully painted, uh, I don't know, hundreds, but at least 150 black Templar that I had spent. I mean, you could, in my black Templar army could see, you know, five years of painting. And what was cool is you could see the ones that I painted year one and year five. And like, I could see the progression of my abilities as a painter in my, in my black Templar army. And the same thing with my Necron army. And when, when they were on my shelves, I've sold them since, but when they're on my shelves, they just, they look freaking cool. Like just a, a swaths of, of robots, swaths of, of, um, you know, of, of Marines and Cody, you're right. It's, um, it's cool, you know, on a, instead of a three by three, on a four by six and you know, you've filled up your deployment zone with models and they've filled up their deployment zone and you've got 120 Tyranids, you know, coming, coming, coming at you. Um, they're, they're, that's uh, skirmish games. Don't have that feeling. Um, so I can get that. So guys, let's take a break. When we get back from this break, I want to find out about, uh, the jump. So what was it about Malifaux that attracted them and what has kept them? We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Alexander Zdanchuk from Riga, Latvia, and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars. Those guys open the beauty of Malifaux 3rd Edition to me and continue to provide tons of great content. You can support them too. Follow the links in the show notes below or search for Third Floor Wars at patreon.com. What is it worth to you to get this podcast on a weekly basis? Is it worth a dollar a month? $5 a month? $20 a month? If you'd like to help support the work that we're doing here on Third Floor Wars, please go buy our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash thirdfloorwars. There you can pledge at any level, any dollar amount. Whatever you give us will help us put out quality content on a regular basis and hopefully make tabletop gaming a little bit better for you every week. Hey, need to give a special shout out to some of our newest patrons. A big thanks goes out to Bob Fletcher, Old Doc Fulton, Joseph Pye, Loke Walmo, Nicholas Prinzing, Darth8952, Sven Hoffman, Mike Schmidt, and Peter DeArmas. The only reason we're able to put out content on a regular basis is because of you guys and gals. Thanks a ton. So obviously... Um, all three of these guys enjoy Malifaux. Um, it's how I know them, um, is through Malifaux. And, um, I, I kind of want to get a sense of really what the big question was at the very beginning for me. And the reason I wanted to have this is what, what attracted you to Malifaux and what's kept you. So let's start with you, Brian. Um, what, what piqued your interest? When did you find Malifaux? Um, you know, five games in, when did you decide, you know what, this is going to be my primary game? Um, so it was at the very tail end of, a second edition for Malifaux, I, I tried to learn it with just me and a buddy of mine, but nobody up here played it. Um, but when I loved the aesthetic of the 10 Thunders, uh, I had been to Japan in my life. I've traveled and I was like, all right, you know, I'm in love with that. We're going to pick these up. Um, to me, it was like a Euro board game. Cause I'm a huge board game person and it's so many options and so many ways to victory. 
Yeah. None of them are actually wrong, but some were definitely better in the right moment. So that's that's the biggest comparison I, I had when I started the play. I'm like, yes, this this just works on so many levels for me. And has that aged well, Brian? So you've been playing now for a while. Uh, do you still feel that way about Malifaux? I definitely still. Uh, it's constant. Even though I can't play in person, uh, we I do play in Vassal when I can. And then it's still constantly uh, have a couple buddies and we have a, an active chat where we're just constantly talking about just list building. And yeah. well, what if you bring this? And now it's because I knew I wanted to get Explorers for a long time uh, because <laughs> I love uh, McCabe. And I was like, I already got one, one, one master. That's how they get you, man. Um, <laughs> so smart. <laughs> one of people listening don't know this because they don't know dave but one of the things dave loves like calling out is is how these different miniature companies hook you and how they get you (laughs) it's so smart it's such good marketing it's so smart (laughs) it's really funny uh it's really funny so dave how about you when did um when did malifo get on your radar and uh when did you get hooked so i started shopping for a new game um as we kind of discussed uh there was a Malifaux tournament in one of our local game stores, Gamers Armory, and you played with real terrain. It was pretty <laughs> beautiful boards of cool terrain. And you were like, what is going on? What is happening? Because War Machine gets played, typically, had been being played with flat terrain because of all the competitive aspects that flat terrain is good for. Yep. It was really cool. And then, um, you know, I flirted with the idea. I knew it was supposed to be good. Um, Cody was playing locally. Uh, he had been talking to another guy locally. So I knew that there were players, right? So an important part of any game to get into is, are there players? Back to when I first started, when there was Battletech and I had no one to play with, right? I learned that lesson early. You need people to play with. And so there was players. It looked cool. It was um, filled all the niches that you wanted. High, um, high skill, interesting, a um, lot of variety, a lot of, you could play a lot of cool different things. So it was kind of touching all the like, things that went out of a game, like a main game and yep. you know, was pretty and had people. So. Well, and you know, Dave, you and I've talked about how important the community aspect is. I mean, uh, just recently, you know, um, we got you to start playing around with MCP, but one of the points that you, you know, when you were debating whether you were going to buy into MCP or not, is you wanted to get a sense of how many of us were playing it. Um, and it was very clear to me at that point that, that that's a big part of your decision-making, um, is whether there's a community or not. Um, and that's, that's not a bad (laughs) decision point to make. You can get, you can, you can love a game to death, but if there's nobody to play with or nobody you like to play with, um, there's not much, much good there. How about you, Cody? What, how did Malifaux get on your radar and when did you, when did you run with it? Um, it's been on my radar since actually maybe even before War Machine when I was a 40 K player. I've always liked the aesthetic. I like Weird West. I like stuff like that. So I've always had them, you know, in my bits box, basically. And that me and my buddy would play once a year when the cool new Gen Con stuff would come out. And then we would go back to War Machine. Um, When it really came on my radar is when I, well, discovered the NC meta and realized that it did have legs as a competitive game. Um, Because, I mean competitive games are all about like suspension of disbelief to me. It's like watching a fast and furious movie. Uh, as long as you, it doesn't take you out of it, then you can think a game is competitive and Malifaux and war machine had a lot of the same, um, like blind spots and things that were strengths. Like for, for me, a thing that will break my immersion in terms of this being a competitive experience immediately is true LOS. As soon as, a neckbeard gets on his haunches and closes one eye 
I don't think I'm playing a competitive game anymore. As soon as I, eh, I could see his power glove right over the ruin there or something, like, I, I don't think I'm playing a competitive game anymore. And I think Malifaux and War Machine basically have the same, um, like, competitive advantages. Like, it uses, it, use, it uses measurement, but it's like widgets and, uh, you know, tools like that are, are you know, uh, accepted by the community. Um, there's free information. It's open information, free uh, movement. There's no true LOS. The rule set is tight, like the War Machine rule set. Um, yeah. It, and then where it gets deeper, though, is like pretty much every model in your crew plays like a junior warcaster in War Machine terms. So if you're, if you are a War Machine player looking into Malifaux, go download the app right now and look at the cards. You will understand and flip to the back of the card. You will understand what all those abilities mean because it uses the same language. It uses within, uses, uh, you know, push towards away that kind of, it uses the same language, but you'll see that it's also like, you know, there's, there's the, the like fluff and the little cute, the cute parts that are what really brings you into that creative element. Like you'll see that immediately. You'll see that like, wait, so when four rack rats are within one another and they activate, they bundle up and become a rat king. Okay. That's kind of cool. You know, like there's, <laughs> there's all these kind of little cinematic elements that are still within the same language that you're used to in War Machine. Um, how about the card mechanic, Cody? Was that something that you were like, holy shit, this is great, or it's like, that's fine, or? I'm like you, and I thought it was a gimmick, and uh, whenever I've tried to get people into it, well, I'm going to turn it back on you. When, uh, when, uh, when you introduce people to Malifaux, and they say, like, well, don't people just count cards? Then what do you say? Uh, the, the answer is, yeah, fine if they do. Like, yeah. So they do, right? So Jeremy, the guy in our meta, Jeremy is a poker player um, and counts cards. I could count cards. I used to do it for Blackjack um, if I wanted to. I don't care enough about my game of Malfo to count cards because I don't have 50 bucks on the line. Um, but I don't think, to be honest with you, um, there's so much more happening in the game that, yeah, somebody counting cards might have a slight advantage because they know that there's a bunch of severes coming versus, you know, versus moderates, or they might know that they're crow heavy or their tomes heavy at certain points in time. But I don't think that that dominates their ability to win. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. Uh, but you're a better salesman than me. Uh, <laughs> in war machine terms, in war machine terms, right, you know what the odds are to roll up whatever seven on 2d6 and a 10 on 3d6, right? So if you know that you have a hot deck coming, and you, if you can manage to keep all the models straight, all the positioning, your deck and their deck correct, sure. But all it is is like doing dice math because cards override. There's so much variety in cards, like mm-hmm. it, the the variance is so high that you're just making probability assumptions, and that's no different than being di- doing dice math. Well, hundred percent correct, and and, it, and the, the the pool of possibilities, right? So it's not only the values, but it's the suits that are going to matter as far as the cards concerned. Um, I do love, um, and you've heard me say it a million times. I do love having a deck memory. I like I love the fact that if I go through my deck and you go through your deck, we ended up all flipping the same cards at different times, um, which which can't be, you know, not is not necessarily true for dice. But you still kind of an, have not answered my question, Cody. Like, how how much does the card mechanic matter to you? Um, not super much, but I don't care about dice either. No one ever asks you okay. that. Like, 
who when's the last time you asked a war machine how, a player how you feel about dice it's like what do you, sure. what do you mean that's just what i do to make attacks and it's like the same to me it is weird that uh the more you okay. play malifo the more you develop this like weird muscle about whenever something goes bad you're like oh wait what do i do about that because in this game you know you could cheat fate and get yourself out of sticky situations a lot of the time and it develops like this weird muscle where you're like oh wait 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 what do i do now <laughs> uh but other than that uh, i don't know i i think the card mechanic is cool and i think the fate um the hand the hand is hand is cool um control hand yeah, yeah. How about you, Brian? Is there a mechanic in Malifaux that you just love that you that you know makes a difference for you, um, or is it is, is it a more holistic love? Uh, I think in general, it's just it's everything. I'll say the the cards when I started playing with them, uh, I had an old Magic player tendency to sit there and flick the cards and shuffle the cards constantly, uh, which would annoy my opponents when I first started playing. Um, but I got I broke myself of that habit, and now you. I uh, have. Uh, I actually enjoy the cardboard and dice just because uh, I've managed to get some of the nice artwork cards. And so when I'm waiting a time, it's like, oh, cool. I got uh, some, <laughs> it's some prettier than looking really at dice. nice art to look at instead of <laughs> just plain dice sitting there. Sure. It, it, it brings me into the game a little more, I guess. It, it keeps that, that fluff theme going, even though it's the actual mechanic of the game. Yeah, it does have a different feel to it, doesn't it? Um, uh, and just tactically. Ta- not tactically t- tactile like uh, like the touching it feels different flipping cards and and you know the action of cheating um which you know there's some types of that in dice games but it doesn't have the same feel as as cheating out of your hand how about you dave how much does the card mechanic matter uh, as far as your love of malifo um i thought it was kind of a gimmicky at first right you've always played dice games but I agree with kind of everything you said. I like that there's a memory. I like that it's tactile. I like that it's pretty, right? Like at the end of the day, you're, I like you when you flip a card, you can see it. I mean, you can like, you can see the art come across. And you can see like the red Joker and everyone, you know, it's one of those like enjoyable moments between you and your opponent. Like you yell, you know, like, oh, come on. Or like, that's amazing. Whatever, you know, but you can see it. it's on you know, like the, it's not like little pips that you're looking for. It's it's this thing. Plus, it has like that weird West, that theming that um, Cody was saying, and I think they did a great job of in third edition. Is it feels like you're playing poker, right? Like if like, you're not playing poker, but it feels like a card game at a saloon kind of thing. Yep. Yep. No, I agree. So, guys, so we're going to take one more break. When we get back from this break, um, I want to talk cautionary tales. So everybody that I've had on this pod uh, so far has talked about what they loved about games and why they you know, fell out of love with games. And uh, I want to talk about um, cautionary tales for Malifo. So what, what could make these guys stop playing Malifo? We'll be right back. Howdy friend, Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the US and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzoopsgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. Um, So every one of these guys um, has played a game, 
invested in a game, painted a game, played a bunch of the games, and then they stopped um, or put it on the shelf uh, for a period of time. Right now, they're all playing Malifaux. So um, seeing games come and go, Dave, is there anything that concerns you either about Malifaux right now or something that could happen that would, could potentially impact your love of the game? Yeah, um, I think I would just warn against the dangers of designer brain and 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 saying models are bad, right? The as at least for me and Cody and the rest of us have kind of said, um, a lot of the fun is derived from the creativity and the joy of finding solutions, both on table and in list build and with the new strats and schemes. And if the especially the community leaders, but if the community comes out and new people come in and say, I want to play Death Marshals, they look cool. Don't do that. They're crap. Play Sandeep, play Colette. They're the only good Mm -hmm. things. Um, That's that will kill the game that that will murder the game. And if that's the style of thing that we put out as a group, uh, that's what drove me out of um, War Machine. I'll speak personally. It's what drove me out of War Machine. It was starting to drive me out of Malifo a month ago. It's why I was playing MCP with you and was looking at God tier is because I hate that. Utterly hate it. And I don't think I'm the only one. No, you're not. You're not. I mean, we have to be stewards of the game uh, as players uh, because I could not agree enough with you. And I joke on the podcast all the time. I talk about this model's broken, that model's broken and stuff like that. Um, It's part of my shtick. Um, uh, Spoiler alert, I don't hate Arcanist as much as I pretend I hate Arcanist. It's it's a joke that's been a long running joke uh, in the same way that I'm I'm bad at the game, but not as bad as I talk about (laughs) as part of my shtick, too. But one thing that you don't see me do on this podcast, and I don't think I ever will, is a tier episode where i talk about what's s tier what's tier one what's tier two um you know the closest i've come to that is i've had some segments where they say you know uh, i had uh, i think one of my guild deep dives i said to the guys you know what are some things that um are a guild struggling with what are some things that can help um but i agree with you dave um it it it, it, it sets a bad landscape especially for new people um, especially for somebody who comes in to use your, your example and goes, wow, I was at the game shop and I saw those dudes with their flaming heads on the coffins. Those look awesome. Who can tell me about them? And five people go up and go, don't waste your time. They suck. It's like, well, shit. <laughs> I, I guess we'll play War Machine. <laughs> All the time. They did that. They're like, oh, yeah. this master looks or this, this robot looks super cool. He's terrible. You want a yep. Warp Wolf Stalker, whatever. All the time. Yep. yep. No, I agree. How about you, Brian? Is there anything that... Um, that well first of all what are your thoughts on what dave said uh i actually completely agree with the what dave said um and i think what i'm about to say kind of just extends on that um which is if for some reason something's getting a really bad rap uh let's say because as 10 thunders player uh shen long for a while had a bad rap i didn't play him i never mm-hmm. once touched him with my play group i'm like you know what? you guys don't like him i have lots of other people i can play i have no problem growing this community you don't like playing against them i'll play somebody else that i love and uh but every once in a while i'll be like you know today do you mind if i bring them out i just wanted to, to see what someone was talking about or try this out and if you you talk with the community generally those broken things uh you can find other ways to do the same thing i know with uh mccabe uh you could bring samurai for their plus flips and do some crazy stuff for their their shooting but now that we have rough riders that are going to be coming out that also have the same ability for plus flips. And on one of my uh, uh, 
good friends, Nerves, because <laughs> he plays <laughs> uh, Resurrectionist, which it gets around a lot of Resurrectionist yeah. stuff. And I said, well, you know, I'm just going to play a different leader. I, I'd love playing Lynch, too. I'm going to play him for a while. That's a fantastic attitude, Brian, and it's a way, it's a way to keep the, your community happy, right? Um, so, yeah, you might have fun playing the uh, the 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 keyword that's you know busts everybody's uh, fun for a little while, and you might win a couple games and frustrate them. But then suddenly nobody wants to play with you anymore. So that that turned out to be a great plan. That that worked out well. How about you, Cody? What um, what's a cautionary tale that you have for uh, Malifo? Yeah, first of all, I, yeah, I definitely agree with Dave and Brian uh, on discussing balance, and I think. I, I know I've been calling it like developer brain, but when I was listening to your episode with Jamie and Bryce, it's like developers don't think that way. It's, it's, nope. it's like, it's unique to gamers. So it's like wannabe developer brain yeah, yep. more than anything. Uh, so so I, if I insulted designers, I feel, I feel bad. Um, but so for my cautionary tale, I would say I hope that the gaining grounds, um, keep the game um, sort of asymmetric. Like going from GG0 to GG1, I felt like the game uh, truncated just a tiny bit in terms of how important the matchups were and that attrition feels a little uh, too important in this gaining ground. And I, I hope that going into future ones that it, it varies. You know, it, it, it expands and contracts in terms of how much the raw combat matters in the game because again talking to war machine players one of the selling points of this game is if you play war machine you're pretty aware that like the health of your meta completely predicts your enjoyment with the game and if you're in a war machine meta that now only has three players you should really consider malifo because it is a game where you and two buddies can play the exact same crew over and over and over uh, based off the strats and schemes, and you will have different experiences. I was listening yeah. to that um, Warhammer podcast you just had, and the two guests were like, oh, it came down to the last flip, and then the enslaved Nephilim obeyed the enemy model to pick up the scheme marker. I was like, that will Ooh. never, ever happen again. <laughs> <laughs> that happened to you guys this game? Will never, ever, ever happen again. It okay. probably has never happened before <laughs> in any game. <laughs> I know. That will never happen again. So good on you guys. You guys had a unique experience. And next time you guys play the exact same matchup, it's going to be very different than that. I can tell you that. Yeah, but what's cool, though, and this ties into, you know, every one of Malfoy models being their own caster and stuff like this. It it is really neat um, stuff, the creativity that can happen. I mean, just that ability to go, wait a minute, I can get your model to go over there, pick up scheme markers, which don't exist in any other game. And that's going to take away the point and just being able to go, oh, geez, I didn't see that play. And maybe you don't think of that play when you played the game, but you're having beers afterwards and go, dude, why didn't you just have your Nephilim obey my model to pick up the marker? And you're like, oh, my God, (laughs) I wouldn't have thought of that. And then you can't wait to play again. You can't wait to build a lift around your enslaved Nephilim and and, and cause that to happen. And that's that is something unique to um to Malifo and Cody, one of the things that I talk about, um, and I'm going to oversimplify things a little bit, but I, I would like to see, here's what I'd like to see happen. Or one, one metric I'm going to use to measure gaining grounds season two. I consider gaining ground season two, when it comes out to be a success, 
if they're in every faction and ideally even in every keyword, we have one or two models that never saw play and nothing changed on the models. And suddenly because Gaining Grounds Season 2 comes out, suddenly these models get play because that tells me that the, that 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 they've changed what matters in those gaining grounds. Um, and, and I think that would be a huge. Uh, do you agree? Does that capture what you were saying or no? Yeah, definitely. But um, yeah, I just want to make sure. And even, even to that point, I, I mean, that's like a little less, you know, I don't want there to be any perfect solutions. If that's what you're, that's not what you're trying no. to say, but that's the way it sounded a little bit. But like, um, as long as it keeps the strats and schemes keep being so, um, providing multiple win conditions, then the game will continue to flourish and you'll be able to keep having this experience where I can play Dreamer versus um, Lucas McCabe 20 times and we're going to have some different results. Different games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so, Brian, um, as we wrap up, do you have any uh, plugs or shout outs you want to make? I guess I, I do. It uh, would be uh, to James Hahn, who... Uh, stepped up to be the actual henchman in the Grand Rapids area. And then to, uh, to my buddy, uh, Robert Weiss, who was the only one with me for a long time, trying to really get people into the game. Uh, and it, it took some hard work on uh, our behalf to really actually get people to play. But sadly, right before COVID happened, we were actually going to host our first big tournament up in Michigan. Uh, we had people from Canada and Ohio all coming up and right before it happened, everything. Oh, that's looking to get back to that eventually. It seems to me every meta that I talk to, there's always that champion, that one or one or two people that built it and kept it going. And they may not still even be playing anymore, but they're the ones that invest in that. So I think that's a great shout out. How about you, Dave? Uh, now, the only thing I can really recommend is I just want to say thanks to all those people putting out content. It's kind of helping the community stay alive during um covid world which is good thanks for the vassal people too even though you know in person yeah. is much better so um you know it's could have it could have died easy or it could have been replaced by i mean a lot of us are playing rpgs more a lot of us are playing you know video games more but so thanks for keeping keeping something we all love alive. It, it does help a lot and um boy it seems like um almost monthly now we're getting some new malifaux podcasts and that is that is a sign of life um and it means that things are healthy um uh, i know that a bunch of my friends down in australia are about to kick off and put out um a podcast and uh, boy in second edition i think everybody that played malifaux in australia also had a podcast mm. um but in third we've had no um real podcasting coming out of australia so i'm excited to see that and then uh, i see varney finally brought back his podcast just recently it was nice to hear those guys um talk about how great they are for an hour and a half so that that's good to see them alive again um how about you cody i know you at least you have a plug but they are <laughs> funny <laughs> uh yeah listen to swamp fiends uh like zoritis keyword uh it's me and my buddy who was basically brand new to the game when we uh started the pod and it's about learning uh the game and improving um with different topics for newer players and experienced players. Um, yeah. It's a good pod, man. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, for those of you who stuck around to the end, thanks for listening. Take care. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch. So you don't miss uh, the avalanche of content we create. Links are in the show notes. 
Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest in gaming apparel and gear. There you'll also find the latest information for the U.S. Faux Tour. Find out where you rank in your conference or even in the entire United States. Get those models built, painted, and ready so we can see you at the next U.S. Faux Tour Masters event. Please take a moment to write a review of this pod on your favorite platform. Rating and reviewing helps us find more listeners almost as cool as you are. Be sure to share this feed with all of your friends who love tabletop gaming. Thanks for listening. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now, if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. Um, so in this conversation, I'm now not in love with the last segment. Um, because we've kind of, I don't know. I don't feel like there's anything to talk about. So we have two options. Drop the, make this the last segment and I can double up on an ad, which is no big deal. Or can you guys think of something else for a new segment? I'm not looking at the sheet. What is, what is, let me get it. So that's the next the, segment. Uh, Go ahead. So the next segment is why Malifaux. So we're going to talk about, you know, what brought you into Malifaux? What do you like about Malifaux? We'll talk about the differences, what Malifaux has that, that warm hearts didn't, um, and then the one after that was going to be what else? So we're, I was going to talk about, we're going to talk about other games, games that we haven't discussed yet. But I feel like, I don't know. I mean, do you think that's a discussion worth having? No, I, don't I just wrote notes. And the only thing I had was I play board games to, to get. Yeah. But, so um, the only thing I was going to bring up is I feel like Malfoy is starting to stumble into the pitfalls that um, War Machine hit. And I don't have a sensitive, good way to say that, but I also don't <laughs> want to be driven out of this I don't want to feel like I'm driven out of this game as well. I got the segment. Do you know what I mean? Yep, I know exactly what the segment will be. Yeah, I, That's perfect. Perfect, perfect, oh, perfect. Dave, it was specialist that you could do. It was yeah, ADR. It was like only ADR. We used it in uh, some of our uh, Michigan tournaments just because of that. You didn't want to lose. Yeah, but ADR and... always had the best faction anyway because it was the one just released. So it's the same <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, I love ADR. It was cool. We used the cool specialist idea. rule, but we didn't use the ADR. So we allowed, uh, I think it was everything but the Michigan GT. It was all our local tournaments. We yeah. said you could bring like, you know, this many points worth of models and, and sub it in at list. Yeah. You can see what they're trying to do. And it had cool, like, we're going to try to encourage you to play these other masters that you normally don't. Like it, like a lot of stuff it had like an idea that you like, that's cool, that you can see what they wanted. And then the execution yeah. or at least the intake of that idea just missed didn't happen all right i'll bring us back you know general facebook group every single day of the week but like what was your question so so it, it was when was the when was your favorite time of war machine what was your favorite edition oh you said second you kind of answered it and you went on the right hand thing okay <laughs> You said something right before I said that, though, that I, I thought it was very important. 
to say that my preamble before I get it. Oh, just in case anybody wondered whether you edit your podcast or not. <laughs> Oh, boy. All right, so I'm going to kick off today because all that's going to get edited out. <laughs> you remember what you were talking about yet, Cody? No fucking clue. <laughs> what the fuck? You said something right before I said that. And I just thought it was important to say I don't know, man. that caveat before you, I answered your question. Y- your good faith thing was, was a good call out, though. Yeah, it is. I still have Maybe. all four of my factions just waiting to be played. Yeah, yeah. I still own all of my minions, like all of them. It's so oh, much you money. Said, you said, it, is there an obvious right choice? And I was going to say that just, you know, we're doing all this in good faith, but in the most recent like world tournament, there was one master that was brought on every single team that could possibly bring that master. Yes. Like, got it. That's actually one of the things that why I left is after one of those type of tournaments. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. So obviously there's a there's some internal fuck ups. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah. It's <sighs> yeah. Oh, I'm getting Dave going. <laughs> it's yeah, it's right. sad because it was so it was so good. Okay, hold on, hold on. We're gonna we're gonna record here. Hold on. <laughs> Sorry. So, all right. Dave, I'm probably going to start with you. Um, and, and we kind of, I mean, on the how you found it stuff, um, these are just, these, these three questions are more for me than they are for you. Um, so I'll just kind of lead the questions through, but we'll start, start about, you know, how you found it, keep it short. Um, and then, uh, I want to find out, um, what you loved about it. And then, uh, I'll just go for on my screen. I'll go clockwise. So I'll go Dave, Cody, Brian. Does that sound good? Sure. Hey, my, my internet is wigging out. I don't know why. Okay. So well, I don't the know good news I is leave and rejoin or what? I, uh, um, no, you're fine, man. I mean, you're coming through on my side. Fine. And everything's being recorded to you locally. Um, so whether you, you know, drop or anything like that, it's if you disconnect that it's a problem. But I'll know if that happens. Okay. I will so say I just can't hear you guys. Like, you know, you're you're doing the start, jump, stop thing. So if I don't yeah. join in, it's because you're weird. Digital That's heads. Yep. When you're talking about the, the deck, though, uh, I tend to play Charm Warders a lot. Uh, just because I just absolutely love the, the random bonus action they have, <laughs> which is, which I can't count cards, but I'll tell you when I actively just guess Rams and then three of his models get like six Rams flipped up. <laughs> it's something you can't do with this. Because no, I can true. see it every time they flip it. They're like, oh. Well, and there's, you know, there's some mechanics like dreamers mechanics and stuff like that, that you can't do, uh, that, that you have to have cards and a deck of cards and a, and a limited pool to do. So that's very true. All right. We'll bring it back. And Dave, this, this was, this was your inadvertent idea. So I'm going to start with you on this segment. Hey, are you still here? Look, uh, the podcast is over. And you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers? Well, I mean, if you're here, might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast too while you're at it, on whatever platform you're listening to.
I do appreciate you sticking around. Take care. Dude, I bought some shoes from a drug dealer. I don't know what he laced them with, but I was tripping all day.